Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Greetings, my friend. Welcome to the show. And if I was going to break this down, we're really covering two big topics today. First, let's talk travel. Camper vanning around Europe Is that something you've ever dreamed about? Perhaps you just want to take a road trip. That's cool, too. We've got plenty of advice that can feed into both of those styles of travel. And there are a lot of questions, logistical questions, like can you just show up and purchase a van or a vehicle? What about insurance? How much can you expect to spend? And I love traveling by train in Europe. One of my absolute favorite things to do, but there are certain benefits to van lifing or road tripping around Europe. Just gotten to see... And experience a lot of like smaller off the beaten track kind of places. And uh, so it serves that side of you that's like an explorer in a, in a pretty deep way. That is Chase Warrington, host of the About Abroad podcast, who is sharing this advice today. He's been camper vanning around Europe, living in Spain. He's got a ton to share and he's going to get us past those glamour shots on Instagram to give us the reality of this lifestyle. And along the way, you're going to get plenty of actionable travel tips along with his advice around camper vanning in Europe, including this gem. There's a network of like 3,000 vineyards that are connected where you can go sleep at the vineyard and get this, Jason, like the cost is you have to do a wine tasting. It's like a, it's a understood thing. You have to do a wine tasting and generally you buy a bottle of wine. I think I can handle that. That doesn't sound like a terrible exchange for a night's accommodations. A bottle of wine? Sure. Sign me up. Chase also recently got residency in Spain. So we discuss some of the benefits of getting residency in a European country and options that may be available to you. And on top of his travel experience, Chase is the head of remote at Duist, which is a leading remote first company. They have teammates spread across 35 plus countries And he has been named one of LinkedIn's top voices for remote work. And what his job is, or one big part of his job, is to plan retreats for his company. That means he finds a location and he brings his distributed team, some members or sometimes all of them, together at some location somewhere in the world. Actually, Chase shares five of his favorite up-and-coming destinations for retreats. And on top of that... We get into the crafting of the experience. How can you create a space in a location where people can truly connect? The organization can get value. The individual can get value. What are the benefits for bringing distributed teams together? And how should you structure it in a way that leaves everyone feeling good? We want people to leave feeling refreshed and not like 
battery drained. I need a vacation from my retreat kind of thing. And one thing I wanted to touch on is even if you don't currently work for an organization or you're not going to put together your own retreat or be a part of one, this is something you could do for yourself. So I think a lot of the advice he shares, you could apply to your own mini retreat if you're a solopreneur, if you're just a traveler working remotely on their own. Perhaps you want to create some kind of experience and uh, space for yourself to consider what your next steps are, where you may be going next, or just give yourself time to reset. So you might want to consider how this advice might apply to you for creating your own mini retreat for yourself, which I think is a pretty cool concept. All of that and much more happening in today's interview segment. Plus, I want to give a shout out to a listener of this show who's coming out of a bit of a fog. Perhaps you can relate, but she's turning it around, taking a trip that has been three years delayed. I want to give her a quick shout out. And sometimes deep zen-like travel insights come from strange places. Today's quote is one example of that. All of that and much more happening right now. Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Quick reminder, I do send out a newsletter every week. If you go to ZeroToTravel.com, you can sign up there. It's free. And I encourage you to do that if you want to keep in touch off of the podcast. Some fun topics here today, as you heard at the top, van life around Europe, remote work retreats, destinations, great mix of stuff. I know you're going to dig it. I'm going to slip and slide into the interview with Chase Warrington, an American expat living in Europe with his wife and their dog. As I mentioned at the top, he's the head of remote at Doist, and he also hosts the About Abroad podcast. Over there, they feature long-form discussions with thought leaders, nomads, and expats who are embracing and enabling global mobility, location independence, and the future of work. You can search About Abroad for anywhere you find podcasts, and I am actually a guest on his show this week, the day that this publishes. So if you want to hear uh, the tables turned and you want to hear Chase interview me, you can check that out over on his podcast now. I'm excited to bring you my interview with him. Load of stuff here. I hope you get a lot of value out of it. Stick around on the back end. Give a shout out to that listener who is taking a three years delayed trip and leave you with a strange, unexpected quote I heard just last night. And I thought, oh, this will be a good one to share. So I'll leave you with that on the back end. Now, please enjoy the interview with Chase Warrington. I will see you on the other side, my friend. Chase Warrington, host of the About Abroad podcast, is back. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. How are you doing? I am good. Good to see you again, man. It's been a while, but uh, I'm happy to be back. It's it's an honor. I'm glad we got to do this. We just finished recording an episode over at your podcast. Uh, over? I mean, there's no physical 
place we went to, <laughs> but that was a load of fun. I mean, you can give people sneak preview on that if you want and encourage them to check out your pod anyway, because I think they're aligned with uh, everything you're doing over at About Abroad. Yeah. Let people know what's going on over there. It was a lot of fun diving into everything that you're doing. First of all, like I'm, I'm just fascinated by what you're doing with Remote Norway, and I wanted to pick your brain on the process that you've gone through to create that and, and how it all kind of folds into your life as someone who's moved abroad, lived in Norway for some time now, and is now putting that experience to use, um, connecting to remote teams and retreats and things like that, which is a huge focal point of, of my day-to-day work. Um, so really, it was kind of encapsulates like everything that I'm very interested in. And so I selfishly invited you back to About Abroad so I could uh, nerd out on that stuff with you. And it just so happens that I think my audience enjoyed it as well. So we'll try to reciprocate here today. Oh, yes. We're going to be doing some nerding out. Well, a few different things going on here. I know you just got permanent residency in Spain. So I want to talk about that and your relocation. You did like a whole van life thing in Europe, which I think is definitely a worthwhile discussion to dive into because there might be some people listening, considering that as a travel option in the, in the near or close to near future. And we're going to get some advice on retreats as well, because it's something you're an expert on heading up the remote team at your organization. And we can talk about that when we get into it. But I think retreats as a concept, I don't want people to tune out here because some of it will relate to a big group like an organization or a community running retreat. So we're going to cover a couple sides of that. But also, as we kind of talked about before, I think being intentional with creating a retreat for yourself or if you're a couple traveling or whatever, you could actually take some of the things I think we're going to talk about and, and apply them to your own sort of mini retreat to turn another page or another chapter in your life. If that's something you've ever considered doing. I think it's kind of a cool concept. Yeah. And then some of the cities that you, you recommend, of course, some destination talks. So there's like, we got a lot going on here, man. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into it. Yeah. I mean, I, one, one note on that, that I think is like so vital to, to mention is, um, you know, yeah, there's, you can look at retreats from the stereotypical, you know, vantage point of, an organization and bringing lots of people together, which is, yeah, that's, that is a lot of what I do. Um, but as you said, I mean, so much of just travel in general and, and remote work and digital nomading and things like this is about like finding tribe and community, um, on the road and, and not sacrificing one for the other. And so I think some of the things that we'll talk about will apply to that. You know, I've, I know people that are organizing, meetups with with people all around the world and uh and building that human connection with three people five people 50 people uh or 500 whatever it may be um so hopefully that'll be you know applicable to to all those situations well how have you been able to do that for yourself you know my my lifestyle has been one of more maybe more so like yours i sort of transitioned from a more nomadic life which was a little isolating in in retrospect um i didn't mind it so much i mean i didn't mind the the short term friendships and relationships that you made but there wasn't necessarily a ton of depth but that was okay at that stage in life but i mean for the last 5 years i've been living in spain and i lived in one place and you know i've had people refer to me as a digital nomad or a nomad. And I, I think sometimes like, am I, uh, if I am, I'm a, I'm very much so an imposter syndrome mode because, um, I've been living as an expat in Spain for, for almost five years in the same apartment. Um, I have a camper van, so I do a lot of traveling with the camper van. 
around Europe uh, and uh, am currently on like a so far eight or eight months or so on the road. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've, you know, now I, I really like settling into a place now and meet and creating that, uh, that tribe around me, meeting people, getting into a routine, having friends and, and stuff in that area. That's, that's more my vibe. I just happen to like doing it in various foreign corners of the world. <laughs> nice. Well, camper van, you had me at camper van. Let's talk about the camper van. Uh, I tried to buy a camper van a long time ago, by the way, and I never, I was never able to fulfill my camper van fantasy. This was before like Instagram even existed or there's a van life thing. That's a whole other story. So I have a fascination with camper vans and I still want to do it. And I live in Europe and I have had the thought of purchasing one and just taking off and going, going through Europe. I have had a, some podcast guests come through in a camper van, a family of four. And I got to like, you know, they hung out and we had dinner and I got to tour their camper van and stuff. It only got me further geeked out on the idea. And I see my daughter's eyes light up when we've gone in somebody's RV to take a look around. And she's like, Oh my God. And the, the, the connections are starting to be made. So, I mean, I think it's, I just think it'd be such a cool way to, to travel. Now I do want to get past like sort of the glamorized version of that. Right. Because we all know it comes with challenges, but the van life, let's call it in Europe specifically. Let's talk about that. And I guess the first thing I wanted to get your advice on is like the buying and the selling aspect of it. And, and, and like, is this even possible for a tourist that's coming in? Cause you live in Spain, you have permanent residency now, but what about somebody that's kind of like, Hey, I'm going to go to Europe on the Schengen visa. I'm going to be there for three months. I'm going to buy a camper van and then I'm going to sell it when I leave. I know that's something that's like a big industry in New Zealand, for example, because I've done the research on that. And that's a very popular thing. But is it a thing you can do in Europe? It is. Uh, actually, I've done that. So uh, this is my second go round with a camper van. The first one went terribly. Uh, so uh, it'll be very easy to to wipe away the glitz and glamour um, from, from the Instagram van life that you might think of. Uh, I came in for the first time or my first go round with, with van life was, uh, also originated in Spain. Funny enough, came over on a three month, uh, typical Schengen visa, did that, decided to buy a cheap camper van, um, and do a little bit of Reno to it and, and head off. And it was super Instagrammy, man. It was, uh, it was like dreamy Volkswagen, old school, high top, um, just, just very, you know, blue and white, beautiful, on the outside and horrible on the inside. Uh, ended up, I've, we counted. Um, we we had an eight day trip plan from the south of Spain up to the north of France to then catch a ferry to go to Ireland. Um, to and we were going to go to Ireland to reset our Schengen visa. We were going to go spend. We'd been we would have been in continental Europe for ninety days and then we were going to go outside the Schengen to uh, Ireland for the next ninety travel around there and, you know, reset our visa. Well, um, turns out that this van was, uh, a, a piece of junk broke down like 18 times. I think, no, no, we counted. It was 14 tow trucks. We ended up on, uh, we ended up spending more nights in mechanic shops, uh, actually sleeping in the van in mechanic shops or behind barbed wire fences than we did in like national parks and all these beautiful places that we, uh, plan to see. So it was a horrible experience. And, and I tell that kind of jokingly for a couple of reasons, like one, 
is obviously like in retrospect, I wish I would have done more homework. I did take it to a mechanic, um, but the mechanic was not super, you know, uh, inclined before I bought it. Yeah. Like we went and did like a review, but, um, you know, it was in the South of Spain and, you know, paid the guy 20 euros or whatever it was to do a revision. And, you know, so it's worth investing a little more, I would say, and like making sure that you're buying something of quality. The other reason I mentioned that is because I was on a Schengen visa and I was able to buy, I did, was able to go through the process. I bought the van. Um, the only thing that you need to know there is that you, to get the insurance, you will need a local address. Um, I, so I, you're able to use a friend, like as long as you have somebody that will give you their address to put on the policy, um, totally legitimate. They knew exactly what we were doing, but you just needed a physical address to tie, uh, to it. But I had an international driver's license, was able to process the whole thing and buy it. So anyway, worked out. Uh, yeah, I wonder if, you know, <laughs> I, I would, I would never encourage somebody to skirt the rules here on the zero to travel podcast, but I wonder if sarcasm. But I wonder if, you know, somebody could use like their hostel address or something. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I I, uh, I don't honestly don't see why not. Like if there was no real need for the address, except that they were very clear, like you need to give us a physical address. And um, don't chase and, us you know, if you do that and something happens, by the way. Yeah, we're just spitballing yeah, yeah. here. We're only podcasters. We're not. Nobody's uh, listening. We're not lawyers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's, but this is a, I mean, this was my plan, you know, it was like, oh, we're just going to hop in and out of the Schengen for a while. I was, I didn't have any aspirations to get a long-term visa at that point. I didn't even know I could, honestly. Um, so it wasn't until years later, this was several, this is, I don't know, seven years, six, seven years ago. It wasn't until years later. Now I live in Spain um, and uh, have, you know, just transitioned from temporary residency to permanent residency. I legitimately have like a, a nicer camper van that I've invested in and, um, and we travel around in it a lot, but, you know, again, going back to like the Instagram versus reality thing, I mean, we did eight weeks in it last year and decided like never again, like that was too much time for us. Um, so like our max is kind of like three, four weeks, uh, we travel in it and then we get an Airbnb for a couple months and do some weekend trips and stuff. And, um, but, but living in the van, it's very tight quarters, especially when you're working. We also travel with a Siberian Husky that, you know, it's kind of like three bodies. In it's a very you and your wife, space. right? And the, yeah, and the dog. It's my yes. wife and I and our dog. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, that's a good tip there. I think, you know, just kind of making sure that you understand what works for you. And then sometimes that comes after having the experience and learning, you don't know. And then just structuring your trips around that, right? Like you guys know three or four weeks is enough. And then you, you so you set yourself up for, to be somewhere where you can get your Airbnb or whatever. And that's, I mean, that's cool. So you, you mentioned investing in this camper van, which was nicer. How much did you spend and how, like, how did you find it? Is there, I mean, I know we're just talking about Spain, but I know nothing about, sort of the camper van resources in Europe. So maybe you want to share a little bit about that and some of your favorite resources that you use to travel around. Totally. Um, so there's two like kind of camper van hubs in Europe where you can find really amazing deals. That's France and the Netherlands. Um, like there, everybody has a camper van and therefore like you have like a really high supply, uh, low demand kind oh, of thing. Okay. Um, yeah. So those are amazing hubs if you physically want to like travel to a place. And I've met people who have gone on to various 
you know, websites or whatever, there's businesses out there that specialize in brokering these deals and they have a plethora of options. You can buy them sight unseen from a trusted person and fly into say Amsterdam, pick up your camper van and go. This kind of things exists. Yeah. So that would be like a place to start your trip. If you're coming in for your three yeah. months, you should start in yeah. one of those countries. Yeah. If you, if you don't want to, I mean, we spent two months buying the first time around, buying the van, renoing it, getting all the paperwork, all that. I mean, it ate up a ton of our time. And um, if you kind of want to just have it all done, um, France and in particular, the Netherlands for English speakers, because it's, everything can be done in English. Um, France just happens to be like camping Mecca. Um, I just camp for camper vanners. It's just awesome. I love traveling through France in a camper van. They make it so friendly. Um, there's, yeah, there's just incredible like amenities, like, um, like for example, when you're driving down the highway, you'll see like road signs that say like specific, like camper van parking over here. And they'll, they're like an air day camping and there'll be like literally places where there's like running water, electric hookups, um, like dedicated place where you can park, sleep for the night, um, stuff like that. It's just, it's like really, really good infrastructure. Also like campgrounds in Europe in general are awesome for people coming from America. Um, it's like a, it's a different experience camping in a camper van in Europe because in a, particularly in a place like France, they've just got, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's very luxurious and it's very, very nice. And there's incredible, usually incredible like views and restaurant on site and like, uh, activities going on. I mean, it's a whole culture around this. Um, there's also a thing in France, like this is bringing something else to my mind. There's a network of like 3000 vineyards that are connected where you can go sleep at the vineyard and get this Jason, like the cost is you have to do a wine tasting. It's like a, it's a understood thing. You have to do a wine tasting and generally you buy a bottle of wine, um, you know, which it might be like five or six euros if you want to buy the cheapest bottle of wine. So you can like sleep in this beautiful vineyard in Bordeaux for six euros and sip on a nice local bottle of wine and, um, and be around a it's few a other steep, camper vanners. Steep price <laughs> to pay, but I'm sure Rough life. we could figure it out. Uh, what, yeah. what is the name of that website? Do you remember offhand? Uh, I probably I, I Google don't. it I'm sorry. and just, uh, yeah, I'll see if yeah. I can find it and we can and share it with you. Um, but there's actually the better thing to do is there's a app called park for night. Um, and park for night has that as a filter, uh, where it's like vineyards. And so when you put in the vineyards as the filter, it'll, it'll pop up, but that app is amazing. Like it's a, if you're going to do camper vanning in Europe, you have to get park for night. Um, it will, it will save you basically just show you everywhere that you could possibly spend the night and all the information that you could possibly need to know about any, any location. And most, a lot of them are free. Like it's just free camping. So. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com altitude go 
To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. Like how much was your van for a, was it like a mid-level kind of? Or yeah, higher? it's like a mid-level. We, we spent about 20,000 euros um, on the on the whole thing completely. Like rent, like a used van with a brand new renovation, which includes like shower and running water, uh, oven, stove, um, you know, table, bed, engine works, which was a huge perk compared to our first experience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I mean, so what are some of the things to consider? I guess some of these vans come with like showers, maybe some don't. I don't know. Like what are sort of the essentials for you? Like if you're going to, if somebody's listening, they're going to come to Europe and buy a van and you'd be like, what would be your advice, your best advice on uh, van selection? Yeah. I mean, so the kind of the standards are in, in Europe tend to be Ford Transits, Mercedes Sprinters, or a Reno. Um, and those, if you, you'll, you'll find a ton of options in like those converted white, you know, cargo vans in those, uh, in those models. And then there's like a whole nother, this is the next tier up where maybe I'll graduate to one day, which is like the ones that are actually built as camper vans, like ma- made for as a camper van, not converted to a camper van. And those you'll spend, you could spend 60, 70, a hundred. It wouldn't be weird to spend a hundred thousand dollars or euros on that. Um, so, you know, if you want to go in more of the like 15 to 30 range, um, a converted sprinter or transit is is a pretty standard way to go. Okay, and they all sort of have the same amenities that you mentioned. Like they're all going to have a shower and, uh, you know, shower. I would there. say is extra. Another thing that's kind of extra is is hot water. Um, and I would I would argue that it's not necessary. A lot of people put a huge amount of emphasis on shower and hot water, but um, it depends on your style of camping. Um, so like what we found is we we had a hot water heater that took up a ton of space. Like you only have a little bit of space and a thing like a hot water heater takes up a lot. A shower takes up a lot of space. So how many times are you going to use that? Um, and any, you know, even if you're, if you're going on a long trip, like when we spent eight weeks traveling in it, we spent a lot of nights in campgrounds where you have shower facilities. 
Um, and so if you can go a day or so without a shower every now and then, um, then you'll, you know, you'd be fine without using all that space. So we actually got rid of our hot water heater. Um, we've, when we need to take a shower, it's, you know, take a little cool shower if needed and it's fine. Um, or use the facilities there. Another thing that I think people might forget to put a lot of emphasis on is storage space. Like what you see when you open the doors is like, you know, the, the cabinetry and the bed and, um, and, and things like that, maybe your table space, but what you don't think about is the storage space and you need lots of compartments and, and over vertical space is very, very important. So I put a lot of emphasis on that as well. Okay. And park for night is the app to get. And what about the temperature kind of staying warm in the cooler nights and cool in the hotter nights? Do you, is there, I mean, just kind of deal with it? sort of or yeah it's it's very it's actually like very comfortable um there's a lot of things you can do like ventilation is huge uh you want that's another thing actually is to put a lot of like you can get people have problems with mold if they don't ventilate properly or have like uh, dehumidifiers in there which can be like cheap little contraptions like it doesn't have to be a machine they're like these little bags that soak up water um in the air but um but yeah i mean like we i've been camping in august on the beach of southern portugal or spain and uh and you know in the middle of summer and it's super hot outside but it feels nice and and kind of cool and breezy inside the van and i've been uh in the middle of the winter in the alps and um and you know been able to sleep just fine Uh, a little little chilly maybe an extra set of socks but uh but it's it's totally doable there's also like some really awesome ways i mean you have uh, we have full solar panels, so like your everything's charged with the solar, and so you can actually run heat and uh, and or AC through there if off of that if you want to, and then they also have like separate units that can actually run off of gas, um, if you if you want to go like real hardcore on the on the heat or the AC. Dude, that sounds so fun. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it is really fun. I mean, what I what I love about it is that. Like we had one day where we were like skiing up in the Pyrenees in Spain. And then we drove down the coast and in the same, like we were skiing for the weekend. And then we spent like Monday and Tuesday on the coast in a little village town in Spain. And it was like, not, it didn't seem like that big a deal. It was like five hour drive or something. And there were two little towns that we otherwise probably never know. Public transport doesn't go there. Um, and so just, you know, kind of extrapolating that across Europe, like just gotten to see and experience a lot of like smaller off the beaten track kind of places. And uh, so it serves that side of you that's like an explorer in a in a pretty deep way. Yeah. Can you give us a range of kind of what you pay per night to park and sleep and all that? Are you are you usually finding a place where you have to pay? Sometimes you find free places or? You can find what literally, I mean, if you wanted to sleep, for free every single night, you would not struggle to do that. Um, I mean, you mentioned I the like vineyard go- thing. That's like six bucks yeah. for a bottle of wine, right? I mean, that's yeah, an which France, you're probably going to spend yeah. anyway, if we're being honest. Uh, and so, um, you know, yeah, there, there's and then up to I've paid up to uh, like 50, 60 euros a night uh, at the very, very high end. And like we stayed at outside of Interlaken and Lauterbrunnen in Switzerland um, last year. And that's like super expensive, but you're basically at like a Swiss chalet lodge. It's still not uh, terrible. No, it's still relatively cheap. Um, And you're, you know, you're walking to everything from there and doing a lot of hiking and biking and stuff. So that's the very, very high end. Like 
20, 20 euros a night, 30 euros a night um, throughout like Spain, France, Germany, Austria, Italy, that, that would be normal. And again, you st any night you want to, you could find a free place to park. No problem. And not like a sketchy place either, like nice, you know, nice spots. Right. And a few favorite areas to explore with a, with a camper van mm -hmm. specifically. I mean, I, I absolutely love like central Europe, um, going through the Alps, Northern Italy, you know, the Dolomites, Austrian Alps, Swiss Alps, Southern Germany, um, the French Alps. Like if you kind of drew a circle around that area during the middle of summer, it is just incredible. Um, the lakes, the mountains, the, the charming European villages. Uh, I mean, if, if you want to go see the cities, camper van life is not for you. Parking kind of sucks. Uh, you know, if you have a high top, you can't go into garages. If you have a longer van, which gives you more space, you're going to have a lot of trouble finding a place to park. You're going to end up like far outside the city commuting in. But if you want to go see some of these, these second, third and fourth tier towns and, and smaller cities, it's an awesome, it's an awesome way to do that. And, and I think central Europe is just dotted with, you know, three, four five different cultures that you can experience in a few hours. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm partial to that area. It's where I am currently, actually. That sounds incredible. Well, we're going to talk about your relocation. I, I was actually going to segue into that. Just like we practiced. Yes. No, <laughs> I mean, I guess I want to hear uh, just a little bit about your advice on living in close quarters with your significant other or a friend, let's say in that situation. Oh man. <laughs> so glad you bring this up, dude. This is, uh, yeah, this is like, another thing that won't show up in the highlights, but it is really hard to live in tight quarters with one other person, unless you're very synchronized. And even then there's challenges, but like, for example, something you might not think about off the top of your head is like, what is your morning routine? Like, um, when you live in an apartment or a house with your significant other, if you have a different morning routine, it's not that big a deal. You wake up early, you go do your thing. There's space between you. Um, my wife and I have very significantly different morning routines. And so we find ourselves, you know, either I'm wake, I wake up a couple hours earlier, I'm laying there in bed. I can't, if I get up and move the whole house moves, um, you know, the, uh, if I, I make one little noise, so I'm either sitting there in the, in darkness for a while or waking up, uh, waking your wife up either way, somebody's starting their day a little bit rough. So you need to think about those kind of things. Also, like we're both online, we're working online. So you know, where's your workspace like? Like we're able to take our jobs on the road with us in this way and work from the van, which is awesome. But like sustainably, two people working and living in that space, uh, when I'm trying to do a Zoom call and she's reaching above me to grab food from the pantry, which happens to sit right above my head and is cooking, you know, one foot away from my uh, from my laptop. Uh, this This is not really sustainable for a long period of time. So um, one thing I'll say on that last note, though, is that a lot of campgrounds are adapting to people like us, I guess, our, our demographic. And uh, like that, that Swiss campground that I mentioned, like they had an awesome space set up for working. So like I could go, I had like an office to go to every day for a couple hours in this like beautiful Swiss lodge thing, looking out at this amazing waterfall. I mean, I was like, I couldn't wait to go to work every day. Nice. So <laughs> uh, you're seeing some evolution in that space, too. Are you tapping into the Wi-Fi there or do you carry around a hotspot or something like that? Uh, 
both. So like that's another perk of staying at a campground is that you can they usually, you know, you, and you can screen for this, but they usually have pretty good Wi-Fi. Um, and then uh, but I also just upgraded to like an unlimited European data plan with my phone. So I'll just often just tap into the hotspot on my phone for for Wi-Fi. OK, yeah, cool. Any other uh, taking the uh, I guess the shine off of the Instagram life van life is there anything we're missing there do we cover it all <laughs> you know what you know it's a, a solid investment if when, when when we upgrade if we if we upgrade to another to that next tier of camper vans one of the things i'll be really excited about is uh the non-manual discharge of the toilet um so uh just being able to push a button or or plug up hook up to the to the sewerage which is what you get when you go to that next level but when you have a makeshift bathroom you have a um they're very very nice but you have uh these portable toilets that you have to disconnect and go go take and um find a dumping station so uh that's not always the most fun part of camper vanning and, and you know but that's reality emptying the poop Emptying, emptying the poop, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and don't forget where that pooper sits is uh, right next to the kitchen and the bed, and uh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I wonder if anybody has. There was always a rule because I used to work as a tour manager for a band, and we were on the tour bus. There was just uh, any of the tour bus tours I was on, you weren't allowed to to poop in the toilet. There, it was just like <laughs> yeah. a, it was a rule across the board. It was just forbidden, and you had to find somewhere else to go. I, now, I don't know if that's possible. When you're van life, people break the rules. Yeah, all all rules are there to be broken. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this may or may not be the case in the Warrington camper van too. (laughs) All right, well, we'll we'll get off that that topic. We don't want too many people to tune out here. Last question. I mean, do you know if it's fairly easy to resell the van, like as a tourist? Yeah, I miss I missed answering this question earlier. um, Like where we bought it, so. Um, and Spain, the the website that a lot of people use for this kind of thing is called Mil Anuncios, um, like thousands of annuncio, thousands of announcements or something, um, and that's kind of like a, a Craigslist or something like that. So that's where I found ours, um, and would be kind of like the standard place to go. I think that extends over into Portugal too. I'm not 100 sure on that. Um, and uh, but there's a, a version of that in most European countries. I found uh, for me it was just easier. I was living in Valencia and in Spain, and uh, and you know that was that was the one that everybody was using. So um, and that's where I'd go to resell it again. Is mm. is the same place? But then is it like sort of a pain to figure out how to transfer ownership and all? Like I don't know how to do that. You know, I know. Remember when I sold my car in the states? There was a place that did all that, but. No, I mean, and I don't know, at least in Spain, it was actually, it's actually like really easy. Like we just hired a, what's called a gestor, uh, G-E-S-T-O-R. And they, they like have a little process in place. You sign a couple pieces of paper. It's, it's very inexpensive. Um, and, uh, insurance was really, uh, inexpensive also, I should say, like, I mean, I, I'm fully insured for everything for about like, I think it's like $600, 600 euros a year. Um, you know, so it's, uh, and that, and that like something that's really awesome to find out when you actually need to use insurance. Like, I feel like coming from the U S you kind of have this 
perception that like the insurance isn't going to really work for you. Like you almost like expect it to fail you in some way. Like they're going to find some way not to pay. <laughs> right. And in, in Europe, <laughs> this is totally not the case. And there's all these like amazing benefits um, that you don't even know exist. Like, for example, I mentioned we broke down 14 times in the uh, in the first camper van, like literal like engines blowing up and just everything that could go wrong did. Um, sometimes spending like a week in a little podunk town where there was nothing to do. And we found out on the last breakdown after a French mechanic told us to, uh, kick it in the river because he thought that would be the best way to possibly get anything out of it. Um, he was like, oh yeah, also you have your insurance probably provides you guys with a hotel room. And we call our insurance company and they're like, oh yeah, when your car breaks down, we'll give you a hotel room. And they found an amazing like four-star hotel near this little town where they put me and my wife and our dog up in a, in a place. And I was like, great value. So yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. As Americans, I think we're uh, generally skeptical of institutions like insurance yeah. companies and yeah, governments yeah. and things like that. So yeah, you forget sometimes in other places that it actually works the way it's supposed to. <laughs> totally the case for me. Well, you mentioned relocating. Why did you decide to leave Spain I and mean, let people know where, where you're at right now and wanted to hear what your thought process was? around that because getting set up in a country is a great thing to do abroad, but then like you, you might want to leave for a little while. I, I don't know how long a little while is for you, but I'm just curious about where you are and your thought process around that and like any advice you have to share around that. Yeah. I don't know how long it is either. Um, so like a little bit of context, we, we've just passed into, we had five years on a temporary residency visa in Spain. And then at five years, like in many European countries, I've come to find out, I don't know about you, I didn't know this stuff before, but after five years on a temporary visa, you, you're kind of forced into one of two options. You can either uh, leave or try to apply for what's called permanent residency. Um, and then within permanent residency, if you want to stay, there's two options. Uh, one is called the EU Largo, which gives you like full European permanent residency. You could move to any other European country, just like any other European could. Um, or what they call the Spanish Larga, which is like you can just continue what you're doing living in Spain as a permanent resident. Um, the former, the, the EU Larga, is a lot more challenging. Well, not a lot more, but a bit more challenging. Um, but we decided to go for that to give us options. So we've, we've gotten that. We've been granted that, which is great. Congrats. And, uh, and we just, yeah, thank you. It's a, it's a huge huge uh, deal for us, you know, six months of work probably and a um, couple years of waiting, but it's worked out and now we've got options. So we're sort of just touring around Europe, just trying to decide if we want to keep staying in Spain or maybe checking out some other places. So we're revisiting some spots we had hit on shorter travels before and, um, and exploring some new places. And uh, currently we've been spending a handful of months here in Southern Germany um, which is an awesome area. Like we're in a town called Freiburg, which is right on the border of France and Switzerland. So like in 30 minutes, you're in one of three different countries and you have the Alps out your back door, the Black Forest, um, very central in Europe to get to other places, an international airport 45 minutes away. Uh, so we've really enjoyed it. And it's, it's brought us back to a lot of like reconnecting with nature and, uh, and, and we've been living in the middle of a, a decent sized city for a while. So this has been like kind of a nice reset for us. Amazing. The location, how far are you from Hamburg? 
Humber. Uh, pretty good ways, I think. Like that's. Uh, I think we're. I don't know. That's that we're down in the very south. Like we're right on the Swiss border. Okay. Um, yeah. Like the closest airport is actually in Switzerland. It's Basel. <laughs> okay. <yeah>. So. <laughs> no, I mentioned because we got family there. We're thinking about visiting. So I was like, oh, maybe we could. Uh, yeah. yeah. The idea of uh, refreshing. Well, no, it's funny. I, I I will say that it's funny to hear. Like Spain says we can stay. Great. Let's move to Germany. Yeah. <laughs> 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 a, I'm not yeah, sure if that's right? how I, you know, but these, uh, some of these, uh, people living abroad, like yourself, you know, we're going to hack the system, right? It's like, we're going to get the permission and we're going to just branch out to all these other places now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, I felt kind of guilty about that to be honest, like this, I don't think this is how it's designed, but, um, <laughs> you know, but there's, there's obviously a really good chance that like, we love Spain and I love Valencia. Um, that's where we've been calling home and there's a very good chance we just end up right back there. So this is, this is more like an extended, um, trip, you know, for a year, 12 to 18 months, something like that. And, uh, maybe 36 or 48, I don't know, you know, but we'll see. Did you rent an apartment or are you staying in temporary accommodations? Um, kind of both. So we're like traveling for two to four weeks at a time in the van and then renting an Airbnb for one to three months. Okay. So you're doing that cycle now in that area. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Exactly. Yeah, that, what a great way to explore and get some relaxation sort of stability along the way. I, lo- I love that. You mentioned a bit of a refresh for you guys. And I think that retreats in many ways, whether it's for an organization or an individual can be a, a bit of a refresh, I guess. You could, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because you have a lot of experience running these things. And I, I wanted you to share a bit more about your role at uh, Doist and why you're the perfect person to talk to about retreats and getting advice a- around that. Again, this discussion as we go into kind of this part of the show, I think that it's important to remind listeners that, yes, we're going to be focusing on on retreats for organizations and and communities, but also I think individuals can pull out some of these lessons here that you're going to share and some of these tips. And of course, we're going to talk destinations as well and perhaps uh, apply them to create your own refresh period if we want to call a retreat that. So, I mean, do you even like the term retreat? Is that the right word? I feel like that's one everybody uses, but you know, I don't know. You know what's funny is there's like this, uh, I was trying to figure out what the right terminology is because a lot of people will also use the word offsite interchangeably. That sounds too corporate. It does. And and also offsite is rooted in the idea that like we're on site for work every day and then we go offsite for this like meeting that takes place somewhere else. And now a lot of these teams, like the one that I work for, we don't have an office. Um, and so is it an on site? Is it an off site? Is it retreat? There is no on site. Right? Yeah, there is no onsite. I know. So like, offsite I don't know. sounds like something somebody would write in a corporate email that's just annoying. Like, stop using the, the corporate <laughs> terminology. <laughs> yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. This is the discussion. So, we need a new word, um, is, the, is the end of it. Uh, a refresh. Yeah, I need a refresh. I like refresh. I think you're onto something. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, my, a little bit of like context, uh, the company I work for is, is full-time is called Doist, and we are a team of about 100 people in 35 different countries, and we are completely remote first, so we have no uh, no office. We have no we don't hire people based on location. Um, people just work from wherever they want, and, uh, and we bring them together twice per year. 
Um, and part of my job as the head of remote is to like make our whole remote work infrastructure work really well. And part of that we think is having a really good IRL strategy. IRL is like in real life. Um, so bringing another way to say, bringing people together for retreats or refreshes or whatever. So I manage that uh, aspect of our of our remote infrastructure. And we think it's really vital. Like it's it's great to have remote work. We believe in it wholeheartedly. We've been doing that remote first thing for 15 years since the company's inception. Um, but at the same time, there's a definite place for coming together uh, a few times per year and, and collaborating in person and, and more than collaborating, like getting work done. I think it's more about connecting and, and creating that human connection, which is what we use that space for. So, um, yeah, I get to plan those and we've got currently like, as we speak, there's like 10 of them going off, like all over the world. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a great, like our teams look forward to it. It impacts the business in a positive way. People come back super enthusiastic and refreshed again, uh, about their teams. Um, so yeah, I'm, it's a, it's an honor to be able to do it. I mean, I, I genuinely love it. And it's for someone that likes traveling like you and I do, it's kind of like a, it's my favorite part of the job. <laughs> yeah. So I, you guys bring everybody together one or two times a year, but then you also have smaller groups getting together for different things. Is yeah, that exactly. So we do what we do two different things. We have one that we call do us connect, which is our company wide, everybody in one location for a week. Um, this year we're going to Tuscany in Italy. And, uh, and last year we like, we rented a small village in the Austrian Alps and, um, and I'm working on 2024 as we speak. So anyway, uh, and then we have um, some other like what we call mini retreats, which are the individual teams. They go off. So like, you know, the Apple team or the marketing team goes to their various locations um, and uh, and we map out those smaller little mini team retreats. Yeah, that's a pretty dope job, I'd say. How many years yeah. have you been doing this? <laughs> uh, I mean, I've kind of been doing this like my whole career like for like what 2000 like four, 13 14 years leading like offsites and planning events of different various sizes and stuff um in different parts of the world it's i've only been in this capacity at us like really leading our irl strategy formally for a year and a half or two um and then previous to that i was just kind of like doing it like it wasn't like a core part of the job but it was like we're going to do these things somebody kind of needs to to lead them um so yeah in different capacities for for a while now but i absolutely love it and there's a lot of like it's not just the like fun part of going and traveling to a place it's like there's a, irl strategy has a real significance to it like strategizing to make these really impactful um a good balance of like fun plus productive plus um, rejuvenating and recharging and, and making sure that there's time for serendipitous conversation, but also like structured activity. Uh, it's, it's, there's a whole game to it. That's, that's a lot of fun to play with. Well, this leads perfectly into getting your tips for running a successful remote work retreat. I was wondering if you could, I don't know if you have a, a list you've drawn up or if we can just kind of go through, I do want to mention since you mentioned kind of working with the remote work infrastructure on the back end of this retreat dialogue, I want to ask you a couple of questions about structuring remote teams and stuff like that and what you see working well. But these tips for creating a, a successful remote work retreat, how do you want to, how do you want to go about this? Uh, you know, I want to approach it from a way that will help 
anybody listening. Um, so regardless of whether you're leading a team of a hundred or a thousand, or, or just thinking about getting a group of people together to co-work together for, uh, for a week in some cool location, um, some, some things that I would keep in mind, uh, first of all, is that optionality is key. So, you know, specifically talking about teams, uh, providing people with the option to attend or not attend and not, and making sure there's no guilt strings attached to that is very important. Not everybody's up for these things. And, and, and you know, we don't want to like reinfuse the awkward happy hour that you feel forced to go to in the corporate setting um, now that we have this retreat or offsite or whatever uh, to, at your disposal. So making it optional for people. And then within that, like a little bit more fine-tuned, um, making sure that once you get people there, that everything is optional as well. For us, like we have this whole itinerary built, but it's optional. Anything that you want to sit out that's not for you, sit out. Um, you know, go recharge if you need to recharge. Uh, we want people to leave feeling refreshed and not like battery drained. I need a vacation from my retreat kind of thing. Um, so that really makes sure that the whole thing's like optimized for the people that really want to be there and that everybody's everybody shows up to each session activity whatever it may be you know with their uh with with the best versions of themselves so i think that that optionality is really important i also think like less is more um actually take this approach like 20 30 50 like 20 percent of the activities that we do are work related 30 percent are like structured activities and then 50 percent is like free time and rest and relaxation um and giving people time to just have serendipitous conversation and just hang out and make their own fun. Um, so don't, there's a big tendency to fill every single hour with something when you're the event leader and coming back to less is more is, is really vital in my opinion. Hmm. Love that. Yeah. I, I also think like it can be very attractive to just pick like famous cities. Um, one, they're very convenient um, to, they, they tend to have like cheap flights. Uh, like when, when I look at bringing a team from 10 different countries together, uh, often the cheapest place for me to go just from a flight standpoint and the, and the fewest number of hours traveled is somewhere like Paris, for example. But then we're in a major city moving around is expensive. Meals are expensive. Um, and, and on top of all of that, like you don't have this chance to, to connect in a, in a very natural space. We've, I've found from running these that people really love when you get outside the cities and you go to places where there's a reconnection with nature, um, opportunities to do activities that are, that are just a bit more, you know, human in, in nature, you know, going for a hike or going to, uh, you know, going, going paddle boarding on the lake or, or something like that. Um, so thinking beyond just the major cities is kind of my third point that I like to encourage people to consider. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift 
thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. What else? I can keep going, man. I mean, yeah, I'll keep just... going. I would okay, love to hear right. more. Yeah, I mean, we have optionality so far. We have less is more. Getting outside of the cities. Another one is to consider your edge cases. So you're going to build this trip whether you're building it for you and five friends or uh, you and 500 coworkers, you're going to build this trip and you're going to think about the core experience that most people are going to, um, that are, they're going to experience. But there's people on the fringes uh, that, that are not going to get that same experience. An example of this would be like coworkers with young children. Um, it's a very stressful week for them when they leave. And so how can you take care of their family? How can you make that not stressful for them? Uh, people with mobility issues, you have like your whole itinerary filled up with hikes, um, and, and, you know, physical activities. Um, likewise, you know, if you go to a city and you've got a bunch of museums on there, um, and you know, but people have mobility issues or people aren't interested in that kind of thing. So again, coming back to like optionality and providing someone with an outlet that might want something beyond what the core experience is. Of course, there's like dietary preferences, um, and so just, you know, thinking through those edge cases, if you're, if you're running a team, you probably got people that are in different situations. We want our people to disconnect from work completely during these weeks, but we've got customer facing people who have, you know, sales quota or support tickets piling up. Um, you know, how do you serve them during that time? Uh, and so, so getting very strategic about those edge cases is really important because inclusivity is so important. So if you think through like, when you do a retreat for if you if you have a co-located office setting that's just your your standard um, you know situation where everybody goes to the same office every day and every third Friday you guys have a happy hour and you go do that or you have a Christmas party once a year if you miss that it's not that big a deal you're going to see those people again on Monday but in a remote setting when you have teams that only get to spend five or ten or fifteen days a year together uh, you don't want people to miss that for anything so. Um, being very inclusive is, is hyper important in these experiences. Hmm. It's probably hard at times to find the balance there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, you can't please everyone. Um, but the, the thing that cures that is planning as far in advance as possible. I, uh, I've done a lot of surveys with the team and gotten feedback on, you know, what they, what they want from these and try to optimize for those wants and needs. And then also just like, I mean, down to like which months are best for people to travel in and 
Um, you know, what do you want from us in terms of supporting you? We actually found out like a lot at one point we allowed people to bring their, if they had young children, they could bring their significant other and child. Uh, but that we found out that was a miserable experience for those parents. So they, they did not like it. So instead we've switched to, you know, compensating that we give them a, a, a perk to, uh, to pay for their, some extra childcare or extra meals, um, to help their significant other back, back home with their, with their children. So just, you know, constantly innovating on that is, is, uh, important. Yeah. I mean, well, huge reason why I wanted to have you on to talk about this because you've been through the ringer you know you've you've yeah. had the experiences you've seen what works and what doesn't yeah that's can i that's give one more jason actually yes, this just please. popped into my head so i mentioned the like 20 30 50 thing like it's like a formula we've worked out where 20 percent of the time is going to be work related um so you're talking about just to kind of put that in perspective because it could be easy to gloss over that like talking about spending very significant amount of money time and energy not to mention the like opportunity cost of pulling people out of their work for a whole week or two weeks or whatever it may be to, to go to one of these, there's a huge expense to the company. So somebody might say like, you're going to do all of that and you're only going to work for like 20% of the time. Uh, that's not very smart. And, and I would understand, you know, that initial inclination. I think most people have that like, well, no, we got to get together and get a lot of work done. Do not overestimate what it, what it means to come together and get a lot of work done. You're, if your team is set up to run remotely, you're probably not going to get together and suddenly find that you're like supercharged by just being in the same place together. If that was the case, we'd work that way every day. Uh, so I, I often find like teams go about doing these things the first time around and they put a ton of emphasis on work and then they find out like, actually, this wasn't we just flew everybody around the world to like just do what they could have done from home. That wasn't a very good use of our time. So I, re I re index on connection and and, uh, you know, building, building up the social capital that is harder in a virtual world. That's a great point. So what have you seen come out of that, that formula for you guys? Oh, it's awesome. It's so fun to watch like the, the, the human connection that takes place on a, just a quantitative level, like people providing feedback, saying they feel more connected to their teammates, their, um, you know, they, they feel more connected to our, we can actually measure this qualitative or quantitatively also, like uh, how they feel connected to our mission statement, to our values, to the to the team, our retention and um, employee satisfaction rates hover in the like 90% range. So there's like real um, business metrics behind it as well. Um, but I, I think mostly it's like when you read the feedback from people just saying like, I feel more like a part of this team now, you know, or I feel very uh i made i made a new best friend at work you know like those kind of things really light you up um because those are the kind of things that make people make your work enjoyable I mean, it's not just about creating stuff um and we could miss that in the virtual world if we don't you know proactively build for it yeah i hadn't even thought about some of those costs you mentioned like of course it costs a company money to find new talent to bring in new talent so if you can just even on that metric do you it just keep people happy and retain the talent you have, then that's a, that's a, a great thing to do to serve your employees, but also it does help the company as well financially to not have to constantly be replacing talent. The X factor, of course, getting everybody connected, you know, and then, you know, it's something about not just seeing the, the name on Asana or whatever, you know, 
Slack, whatever, whatever you're, you know, you guys have tools for this stuff, which you can talk about, but you know, the, it's not just a name anymore. You have a, that relationship. That's, that's huge. I mean, for communities, organizations, this is the thing that I think uh, the best intentions behind the internet would be to use, uh, like say social media or whatever, to like actually bring people together. And we, we see that it's not always, you know, used in that way. I mean, it's used for a lot of different <laughs> ways. To me, that's one of the the best things about some of the institutions that have been created via the web is the the things that can facilitate the the connections. And I mean, you are doing that for your for your team and your organization. So that's really just cool. I've run events and re- retreats and things before for a community I used to work with. You know, my favorite moments were not just like the sort of individual breakthroughs or some of the things you mentioned, but like th- there was always a moment where I would just like take a breath and stand back and just look at people connecting and just kind of observe and see all the magical things happening and just get such a sense of satisfaction being like, yes, like, look, wanted to bring all these people together and it's happening and they're together and look at those two people laughing and look at that group. They're like, you know, doing this thing and they're in this crazy brainstorm and look at, you know, and just like, ah, yes, we did it. <laughs> it's a good feeling. Can I, can I tell you that that just brought a memory flooding back to me? Um, so last year, we, I mentioned we rented this small village in the Austrian Alps that nobody's ever heard of. Like that, that's the cool thing is like we didn't go to, we did fly in and out of Munich, but like we weren't, um, you know, we weren't like in some city that you've ever heard of or seeing any sites that you've ever heard of. We were like in this little village and everybody's having a blast on this last night where we bought, we got everybody, we rented like traditional high-end lederhosen and dirndl for everyone and had like a, a traditional uh, Bavarian band playing. And I'm looking, I'm standing there at like, you know, one o'clock in the morning with a couple of my teammates tag teaming a DJ set turntable where they're just having a blast and group the group of uh, group of people dancing in their lederhosen and having, you know, big steins of German beer. And it was just this very cool moment of being like, you know, here's all these adults just having a blast at a costume party in the Austrian Alps and in this barn that we rented. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really exciting. Pure satisfction. Just like, yeah, I'm just gonna, made, we made put it. my hands behind my head and enjoy this scene. That's awesome. I could just, you took me there, man. I saw the big beers moving around in the arms, you know, <laughs> for some reason, when you have a German beer, you have to move your hand back and forth like this. You know, I don't know. Yeah, why. you do. It says it must be the Oompa band. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, um, you mentioned kind of dropping some cities you're interested in sending people and why and tips for coordinating those. Also, you mentioned kind of staying away from cities, but I'm just curious what you're, what you're thinking in terms of destinations and why. Yeah. So, so I mentioned we do two different types of retreats. So the, the company retreat where we bring a hundred people to one place, I think is one type of venue and we're kind of going outside the cities for those. Um, they're, uh, they're just a different type of vibe. So that's the Austrian village or the year coming up, we're going to be out in the Tuscan countryside and kind of like a Medici castle sort of thing in the vineyards. And, and, and then there's like um, what we call mini retreats where they're sort of like the teams are going to fly in, fly out. They're going to spend four days together and there's a little bit more of a work element to them. So we want like a co-working space to go to and we want convenience as well. Like people need to be able to get in on a Monday, get out on a Friday and uh, get a little bit done um, during that time. So 
um, for that, I, I started, what I did is created like a list of a pre-approved cities that matched our uh, budget, our um, convenience factor, you know, for getting to and from, from where our team's geographically located. And also there were like, you know, fun and exciting places where people actually want to go. Like, you know, not going to throw shade at any places, but some places are more attractive than others. And we don't want to, we don't want people dreading going like, what, you're sending me there in the middle of winter? That sounds terrible. Um, so we picked, so we picked a handful of locations and um, I'll share five of them that I think really work well um, in terms of all those, those factors. So uh, in Europe, the, the three that we're really focused on are Prague. Lisbon and Athens. Um, depending on the time of year, all three of those places have incredible cr connectivity from all around the world. Uh, easy to get in and out of. They're very inexpensive by European standards. So even people on a budget, you can you can do a lot with your money there. And there's tons to do in all those cities. Like you won't be bored. Um, they're beautiful locations. People will be really excited about, and they're not overrun completely by by tourists um, if you go at the right time of year. Uh, compared to a place like you know Rome, for example, yeah, right. or one or of the most Barcelona. visited destinations in the world, yeah, 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 exactly. So um, those are some some good options. And then the the other two going over to the Americas, Mexico City's become an incredible location for uh, for for all those same factors. Um, and and on the other side, moving towards Asia, Istanbul, uh, another like great bang for your buck. Um, awesome connectivity and get there from, from anywhere in the world, super fast. And, uh, obviously no shortage of, of entertainment and history and, um, people aren't going to be bummed to go to a place like Istanbul. So that's the, uh, that's the short list of five that I, that I'm currently recommending. Awesome list. Thanks for that. The remote work culture. I, mean, I think we talked a bit about this last time you were here, but I just, yeah, again, just kind of with your position, in, in the organization, I mean, you're seeing a lot. What is what is working right now in terms of outside of the retreats and connecting people in that way? What is working for? I'm, I'm thinking both sides, right? There's like sort of the person that might be the individual working for a company that's remote, and then there's the organization side, the person that's responsible for keeping people communicating, connecting, even though it's all virtual. Uh, yeah, I guess just. What are a few of the the things you've noticed that are, let's say, best practices on on either end? Really, I'm just looking for kind of your your a few key takeaways that you've kind of noticed recently about fostering remote work culture and making it all work for productivity and everything like that. One of the really cool things I, I love that you asked this question because it's so like real to our time right now, like remote work. And especially like having fully remote teams was like so not a thing <laughs> like five years ago. And uh, and the teams that were doing it were like hacking together solutions, like uh, us included. Like I mentioned, we've been doing this for 15 years and we were just like hacking together solutions. There weren't products or services that were developed specifically to serve distributed teams. Um, and now there's like, it's like drinking from a, a fire hose. Like you cannot keep up with, there's new products and services being built to help foster team connection, team collaboration, um, better, you know, better mental health for your remote employees. Um, so it's never been better and it will continue to just get better, um, in terms of like how you can create an awesome remote team. Um, 
and so that's that up leveling, I guess, like, you know, of the whole industry, if you want to call it an industry, is something that's totally noticeable. Um, every aspect of the way that we work together virtually and connect with each other within that uh, is is being uh, innovated on. And it's it's really awesome. Um, and like the individuals are matching that, which is really cool, too. You see a lot of people who they've raised the bar in terms of what they expect uh, from a remote experience. So this is part of the reason my position exists at uh, at Doist is like we we a lot of companies that have someone in my role, um, they're there to like facilitate this transition, you know, and like we didn't go through any transition. We were more like the expectation of the remote worker is changing. They want to real. It's not just enough to just be remote. You have to offer a really awesome remote experience. Um, so on both sides of the coin, there's like a up leveling of what is being offered to employees, and the employees are are matching that with a, a higher expectation. And um, and that means no. If you're sitting on eight hours of Zoom calls a day, your organization is doing it wrong. Um, if they're expecting you to be up at twelve o'clock uh, at night, you know, for your uh, for, for a stand-up meeting, then they're doing it wrong. Um, if they're not providing really great space for you to connect on a more human level, uh, both virtually and in person, then they're doing it wrong. And so you're seeing a lot of uh, improvements in that area as well. Yeah. Thanks for that. I, thanks for sharing your expertise here. And, it, you know, another layer of this, which is crazy, is what you guys do at Doist. Your, uh, your tagline here on the website is, we're building the future of work. <laughs> So, I mean, I, you know, you're really surrounded by this in so many ways, like not just uh, the, uh, all the stuff we talked about today, but then literally like the infrastructure and like the tools that people are using. So you're seeing so many sides of this. So, man, I really appreciate your friendship and I appreciate you being a friend of the show here as well and, and coming on to share some value with everybody listening. Yeah, I, I remind people, you know, about Abroad, the podcast, they got to go check it out. But, you know, yeah, feel free to kind of share if anybody wants to get in touch or has questions. And Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Uh, it's uh, I've, I've told you this before off air, but um, I've just loved your podcast for a long time and admire of the work. And so it's really, uh, you know, an honor to be able to come on and chat with you. And I've, I've enjoyed just like getting to know you off air as well and becoming friends and ch chatting through some of the things that we're both working on. So this is great. Um, if anybody wants to nerd out with me on remote work stuff, uh, I talk about that a lot over on LinkedIn um, and a bit on Twitter. But uh, you can find me on LinkedIn is is the best place to do that. And then if the you know the more the travel side, global mobility, um, expat, and digital nomad life is uh, is on about abroad, which is uh, aboutabroad.com, and you can find that just about anywhere. Um, I'll also mention the Doist blog blog.doist.com has a whole remote work and remote collaboration section. I, I write for that area sometimes. So um, if any of that stuff was interesting, I would check that out as well. When do you sleep, man? <laughs> I, I would ask you the same question. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're like, I have enough time. I, I got to get going, man. I got work to, I got to get off this podcast. So we'll let you go, man. But uh, thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll have you back on for, for another topic at some point. And uh, yeah, don't forget, I'm also had the privilege of popping over to the About Abroad podcast for an episode. So, and we're publishing these the same day. So if you want to go check it out, you can hear another conversation. Check it out. I encourage you to do that. So thanks so much. And we'll uh, keep staying in touch. I look forward to it. Thanks, Jason. Take care. <laughs>
have it. Quick thank you once again to Chase Warrington for stopping by the show and sharing his advice. Got so much experience running these retreats, so I loved hearing his advice around that. And I do have a slight obsession with camper vanning around Europe, so it was cool to hear how he does it and some of the practicalities behind that. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. Before I let you go, I got to give a quick shout out to Steph, a member of this community who shared an email that caught my attention and it does reference the pandemic. I know we're kind of all tired of talking about the pandemic, but it still affects us. But there's a broader topic at play here, and that's this idea of losing your love for travel. And that was the exact subject header she wrote. Did you lose your love of travel during the pandemic? She said, at the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020, we were four months away from eloping to Europe using our finances to travel rather than spend on the big day. But when the world turned upside down with the waves of uncertainty, I found that I had no choice but to shut myself off from the side of me that loved travel. She goes on to say, fast forward to late 2022 when I became aware of how much I was suppressing. I took my first few steps towards reawakening my travel dreams when I started to slowly listen to episodes of the podcast again. Amazingly, I felt things once again shift inside of me the way they had the first time I discovered your podcast all those years ago. Forgotten what the excitement, possibilities, and travel buzz felt like coming out the other side of the pandemic fog. I wonder who else felt this way. Life on hold, shut down parts of their soul, all to just survive through a tough time. For my part, I just wanted to say a heartfelt thanks for the work you do. It inspired me twice in a real way. Our European elopement honeymoon may be three years late, but importantly, it's happening, departing this spring. So, Steph, congratulations. I just wanted to say way to hang in there. And I thought I'd bring this up because maybe it's the pandemic. Perhaps some of you are still coming out of that fog and trying to refind your travel dreams, relocate them and get that travel buzz, as she mentioned, get that excitement and possibility back. But as a broader theme, have you ever done that? Have you ever shut down the side of you that loves travel because something felt unattainable? I believe that I did this in college, actually, when I read this email and thinking about it just because I made the assumption that studying abroad was too expensive and therefore travel was expensive and I was maybe not going to be able to do it. So that was one way I may have suppressed my travel dreams. And I bring this up because I want to ask the question of you and myself here. Is there anything I am suppressing right now that shouldn't be suppressed? Is there anything that is a dream perhaps that's just getting written off because of circumstance and does it have to be I don't know I have to think about it for myself but I thought I would just bring it up coming out of this email and this shout out to just give ourselves a moment to ask ourselves that question and consider the implications of suppressing a dream and shutting down a part of our soul to use in Steph's words and is there a way to Stop doing that if that's something we're actively doing right now. What does that look like? How can we bring ourselves out of that fog? I don't have the answers to these questions. I just like to bring them up, give myself and anybody listening who may be resonating with these words a little bit of food for thought as we get out of this show with a quote from an episode of Seinfeld. 
I saw last night. I'm not going to get the quote exactly because I don't have it written down anywhere. But if you're a fan of Seinfeld, you know, there are a lot of recurring characters that come in and out of the show. And (laughs) last night... Elaine was walking down the street and she encountered for the first time Jay Peterman, who is a clothing catalog owner. He, he like has a clothing line and he designs clothing and he's got this very striking bassy voice and she was crying and she was on the street and it was raining and she just was out of it. She was upset about some various things. I don't need to go into all the details of the episode, but she said, I'm really sad and I don't even know where I'm going on the streets. I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. And he said, not knowing where you're going is one of the best ways to get to somewhere you've never been. So there you go. A little travel wisdom from Seinfeld of all places. Thanks for listening. Much love to you and yours. And I will see you next week. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.